In our sessions, we've been looking at a life worth living, because that is the life that we should all want. We want to have a life that is worth living, a life that leads us into more and more life experience um, that is that is a reflection of God in our life and light rather than a reflection of darkness and sadness and moving in in that direction. So first uh, two parts of a life we're living were very much oriented around uh, first us understanding what's in Romans chapter 8 for us and understanding those key elements that are there because that becomes the foundation and then we moved on to to really apply that to some different life situations and some facts of life and now we're stepping up to the you know to the third floor in the midst of this three-part aspect of a life worth living and we're going to look at what Jesus did in his life and how he called people to follow him and to be his disciples when Jesus was 30 he began what is referred to as his public ministry. That is when he started pulling uh, men together to form a team. And that's when he, he, he goes around and you hear him again and again making the statement, you know, come and follow me. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Those kind of elements where Jesus is saying, come and follow me, become my disciple. Let's do this. So in Matthew 9, 9, it says, as Jesus was going down the road, he saw Matthew sitting in his tax collection booth. Come, be my disciple, Jesus said. So Matthew got up and followed him. I think that's amazingly cool. Jesus has such a presence, and, and at this point, he must have also had a reputation that he would walk by, see Matthew. Matthew's doing his job, and Jesus says, come and follow me. And Matthew gets up and starts following him. I think that today Jesus is making that exact same offer that he made to Matthew to each one of us. He's saying to us, come and follow me. Be my disciple. Come, let's go. Let's do this. I think that's what he's doing. So just so that you know the idea of, of a disciple. A disciple, the word comes from the Latin word uh, discipulus. In the Greek, in the Bible, it's the word methetus. And what it means is it means a student, it means a learner, it means a pupil. A disciple is an apprentice. Whenever a mentor takes someone on for training, they become that person's disciple. And now they're being trained and they're spending time with this person for that purpose. The word's actually used four different ways in the Bible. I want to give you those so just so that you have a little bit more context, a little bit more information. Uh, first of all, it's referred to anyone being trained by anyone else. Anyone at all. If you were being trained by someone, then this word was used. If you're in a training program and you have a supervisor training you, you are being discipled by that supervisor. Throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, you find examples of this going on. You have Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha. John the Baptist had a variety of disciples. Paul had men he discipled, like Timothy and others. So a disciple is someone who is being mentored by someone else. That's one example. Another example, the way it's used in the Bible, it's used to refer to the 12 disciples. 
the 12 disciples that Jesus chose, and they were also referred to and called apostles. So that's another example. Third witch used in the book is in the book of Acts as a synonym for Christians. They were called disciples until the church had spread completely out of Israel. And once it had completely spread out of Israel, and then it was into Antioch, where the disciples were first called Christians. And then there's a fourth way, and this fourth way is how Jesus used the term, and that's what we're going to focus on tonight. All of our examples tonight are about how Jesus used the term and how he used it and what that means for us. So there are times in the Bible where Jesus says, if you do this, then you are my disciple. If you do this, then you can follow me. One of the words that you'll notice uh, repeatedly in the, in the, in the, the main verse of, of what we're walking through tonight in each one of the main verses for each point is Jesus starting with the word if. If you'll do this, if you'll do this, if you'll do this. Because that's a significant aspect of being a disciple. I'm a disciple because of certain elements, certain things that I do in my life. So tonight we're going to look at the, the six key things about being a disciple. First up, to be a disciple, I must spend time with Jesus. I have to spend time with him because like any other relationship, the more time you invest, the more you're going to get out of that relationship. So it requires that I spend time with him. So you can't be a disciple of anyone without spending time with them. It doesn't match the definition of what the word means. So here's what Jesus said in John 12. If, here you go, if you want to be my disciple, you must come and follow me because my servants must be where I am. And if they follow me, the father will honor them. So this verse is teaching us three things about spiritual growth. First step is that spiritual growth is a choice. God doesn't force you to grow spiritually. No one should force you or even try because they actually can't. Spiritual growth is a choice. It's up to you. You can underline that phrase, if you want to be my disciple. The key word there is want. If you want something, if you want to be my disciple, then you make choices that reflect that and you grow. Because you're not going to become more mature unless you choose to do what makes you more mature. It's not going to happen. Spiritual growth is not automatic. Spiritual growth is, is about being intentional with certain things. It's not something that just happens. You have to choose. I choose to do these things that cause me to grow spiritually. So one is there, it's a choice. Second thing is, is that it's a commitment. You... you you have to make a commitment in order to grow. And then as you live out that commitment, you experience growth. He says, you must come and follow. You know, first up, he says, you know, you, want, you have to want it. And then he says, come and follow. Yeah, it's not just want. It's like, okay, now put some action to it. Make a commitment. Come and do it. Come and follow. So the fact is, is that if you don't make commitments in life, you are going to remain in a state of perpetual immaturity. It's commitments that draw you out of the level of maturity that you have 
and bring you up to the next level. It's commitments to do certain things, to live in a certain way. No commitment means no maturity. Your life is a reflection of the commitments that you make. You want something, you commit, and that commitment shows if you're how serious you are. Third thing is spiritual growth is a relationship. Spiritual growth is not about rules. It's not about rituals. It's about being with a person. And in this case, we're talking about being with Jesus. If you're not going to be with Jesus, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. So what we're talking about, if I'm going to be a disciple, I have to spend time with him. You could underline that phrase, must be where I am. Because Jesus said, my servants must be where I am. Wherever I go, they go. When I have conversations, they hear those conversations. It's about a relationship with him. It's about spending time with him. And this was the plan that was in play all along. In Mark 3, it says the plan was that they would be with him. That's what I'm talking about, spending time with. And then he would send them out to proclaim the word. But first up, the plan, we have to be together. It's about a connection, about a relationship. So the more you spend time with God, the more you're going to be like him, and the more you're going to be able to live like he lived, the more you're going to grow spiritually. So Jesus said, I had to spend time with him if I want to be his disciple. Second thing, to be a disciple means I must love Jesus supremely. And I I mean that. It's not that I must love Jesus. Because I can tell you, I love donuts. It's not about loving donuts. It's not about loving Jesus. It's about how much do I love Jesus? I have to love him supremely. I have to love him more than anyone else. In Luke 14, Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you must love me. And then he says, in fact, you must love me more than your own father and mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, more than your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. That's about loving supremely in a very extreme way. So what he's saying is, is he's given, he's given us a, a perspective. He's saying that your love for him must be so intense that it's greater than you, your love for anyone or anything else. It doesn't mean that you don't love other people. It actually means that you love them, and now you love God more. And because you love God more, you can go back and love them more than you could without Jesus and without the love that you have for Jesus. So what this means is that spiritual growth, first step here, is, me- is measured by love. It's measured by how much you love. It's not measured. Spiritual growth is not measured by how much you know. Some people get caught up into this thing about how much they're going to learn, how much, how many books they're going to read, and it's all about how much they know. But spiritual growth is not measured by how much you know. It's measured by how much you love. In Mark 12, Jesus says, the most important command is this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
That's, that's a supreme love. Covers all four quadrants of, of my being, my strength, my heart, my soul, my mind. That's what it means. So there's, there's actually a word for this in the Bible, for this type of love. It's a word that when you love something or someone so much, and you're willing to express that love to that person, the word in the Bible, worship. That's what worship is. Worship is me expressing my intense, supreme love for God. And if somebody else comes into my life or something else comes into my life that I'm going to love more than God, then I'm going to take my worship and focus it in that direction. Because that's what worship is. It's about whatever you love the most. The word worship in the Bible, it's actually a combination of two Greek words. One of those is proskuneo, and it means to kiss. That's that's part of what worship means. It means to show this intense affection, like a kiss. I'm going to show God my intense affection for him when I worship. When When the band comes up and they're singing and we're worshiping, we're showing our supreme love for God. And it's a love that is greater than any love that we have for anyone else. We love him supremely. So we show him a very deep affection and love. So being a disciple involves loving Jesus supremely. Third thing, being a disciple, I must love every other disciple. So it's not just about loving God. I have to love the other disciples. I can't say, yeah, I like four out of five. That one, man, I just can't, I can't hang with him. Okay. Well, you just cross yourself off of the list of being a disciple. Because a disciple loves every other disciple. See, it's really easy to love God because God is perfect. God never lets me down. He never disappoints me. He never fails me. He never uses me as the end of a joke. He never makes fun of me. He doesn't do any of these other things that my people do. We have this tendency to hurt each other. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, yeah, you have to love me supremely. But you have to also love each other. You have to love all of the other disciples. Every other Christian, every other follower of Jesus. That's why he uses this phrase. It's, 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 it's once again, if. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, if you, love, if you have love for one another, then everyone will know that you are my disciples. It, it, it's, a, it's a scale. If you actually have love for each other, people will know. It's not just love for Jesus. It's about a love for each other. And in this moment, Jesus is saying that, you know, the hallmark of being a follower of me, the proof that you are my disciple is that you love all of the other disciples and everybody out here sees it. They experience it. They know it. It's proof. So we need to love each other. You need to know that For example, here, spiritual growth, it happens in community. 
It happens together. It happens in the family. The family is the church. That's where the family exists. You know, maybe you have heard, yeah, I love Jesus. I, I really don't like the church. You know, that's lame. I mean, could you imagine? You know, all of you want to be in a relationship. Some of you are. Most of you, I imagine you hope to get married. Could you imagine somebody coming to your wedding and saying to you, dude, man, I love you. Boom. Your wife, not so much. (laughs) The wife of Jesus is the church. The church is the bride of Christ. For somebody to say, yeah, I love Jesus, but man, I don't like the church. And they are saying to Jesus, I love you, but I don't like your family. I don't like your bride. And so we want to be careful to not go there because I must love every other disciple. And I need to know that spiritual growth happens in community. It happens in the family. There's a, there's a, a verse that, well, this verse says, if you have love for one another, That phrase, one another, it's used 58 times in the Bible. 58 times that phrase, one another, love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, be there for one another. It goes on and on 58 times. It tells you how to do life with one another, how to do life in the church, how to do life with fellow believers. It tells you how to love fellow disciples of God. Jesus expects this of us. He, he expects us to love each other. First John 3.16. I think this is cool because it's not John 3.16. It's, it's, it's 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our, our lives down for the, for the other brothers. It's what we got to do. If we're a disciple, we love the other disciples and we lay down our life for each other. See, that's talking about the brothers and sisters in the family of God. It's very clearly talking about the other Christians. I love them so supremely that I'm also going to love his other disciples and lay my life down for them. That's what it means to be a disciple. Another element, if you want to be a disciple, big one, challenging one, I must always do what Jesus tells me. It's one of the marks of a disciple. I do what Jesus says. You know, I look at this and I might have like, oh, this is what I need to do to be a disciple. Hey, it's not that popular. This is going to cost me with my friends. But you do it because it's the right thing. The basic rule for being a disciple is if God tells you to do something, you do it. It's really simple. You don't have to process, do I want to do this? Because if you want to be a disciple, then your answer is already decided. Yes, I am a disciple of Jesus. I do what he says. I come across something in the Bible. Maybe I don't like it. 
it really doesn't matter. I'm going to do it. And that's where faithfulness kicks in. He's telling us one of the marks of a disciple is I obey him continually. John chapter 8, 31 and 32. If you continue to obey my teaching, you are truly my disciples. AKA, if you don't continue to obey my teaching, you are not my disciples. Because my disciples obey. So if you continue to obey my teaching, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's amazing to me that how many people, I would say how many people in America, maybe everyone knows this phrase and has heard this phrase, the truth will set you free. The problem is, is they don't realize that that's the second half of a qualifying statement. The qualifying statement is, if you continue to obey my teaching, then, only then, only after, then you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. It's not that the truth sets you free because you know it. It's that you have continued to obey my teaching. You know, the first thing I, I want to notice here is that spiritual growth is an ongoing process. He says, if you continue, you could circle the word continue because it's a process. It's a development. It's incremental. It's gradual. It's ongoing. It is a step-by-step process, and that is one step at a time. It's an ongoing process. Second thing, spiritual growth is measured by obedience. He says, if you continue to obey, it's not based on how much you know. It's based on how much you actually do, how much you practice what you know. See, there are a lot of people. I'll just say this. There are a lot of people who really frustrate me. They frustrate me because they know so much of the Bible. And they don't do so much of the Bible. And there needs to be a connection for us. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to have a life worth living, you learn and you obey and you don't separate those two. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you do with what you know. God says, I'm not measuring your growth by what you know. I'm measuring it by how much you love and by how much you obey. Spiritual growth is an ongoing process. It's measured by obedience. And then the third thing here is that it is based on God's word. If you continue to obey my teaching, Jesus is saying, I am here. I am teaching. If you obey what I teach and you continue to do that, then you could be my disciple. Now, there are a lot of books that you could read. Some good, some not so good. There's just a lot. There's, there's a lot that are more oriented around positive thoughts or somewhat of a motivational speaking in a book, kind of to, you know, to pep you up or to charge you up or to get you to charge out and do something. Interesting. A lot of them are very incre- in, intriguing, but it's not human ideas or concepts that are going to help me grow spiritually. It's very specifically the teaching of Jesus. That's where I need to go. 
I need to go and read what he said, not somebody's philosophy or psychology. I need to know the actual truth. And Jesus' words are truth. Gave us them over and over again. There's, there's plenty there that we collectively don't know yet. So we should make an, an intentional effort to base our life on the truth, to continue to obey and to obey his teaching. Uh, fourth thing in this verse, it teaches me that spiritual growth sets me free. That's where my freedom comes from. The truth will set me free. The more you grow spiritually, the freer you are going to be in life. And there's a lot of things that a lot of us are in bondage to. There's a lot of things that have a grip on us, and that's not freedom. We need to be free. You, as you know the truth, you can be set free from the expectations of other people. And there's a lot of that that just causes us heartache and pain. You could be set free from the past memories that you have. Those memories that crop up and try to pull you back or pull you down. Those memories that are still aching in our heart. You could be free of that. You could be set free from guilt. Set free from resentment. You could be set free from shame. See, the more you grow spiritually, the freer you become. Because if you continue to obey the teachings of Jesus, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. It'll set you free from all of those things. It is being truly free. Jesus says, if you continue to obey my teaching, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Next qualification for being a disciple is that I must serve others unselfishly. There's this thing about my heart. My heart is, is, is very self-oriented. It, it it makes me want to be selfish. So I have to take my heart and sort of tweak on it and adjust it and change it. Because if I let it go wild, it is self-oriented. It's all about me. So I have to make some heart adjustments. One of those adjustments is about me loving others. It's about me serving others. Because spiritual growth is not about me taking it all in so I could grow spiritually. Spiritual growth is actually about me giving it out so I could grow spiritually. It's not just about me learning more. It's about me doing more and giving more and sharing more and serving more. Jesus says it like this. If comes up over and over again. If you want to make the most important, if you want to be the most important person, you must take the last place and be a servant to everyone else. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God has a set of values, and those values are different than the world's values. And we need to adjust our heart. We need to, to change how we view things and how we see things. The world's values, the world would say things like, it's all about me. Ah, oh, you deserve it. Do what's best for you. That's the world's value system. 
I can tell you from experience, from people that I have talked with and worked with, that leads to a miserable life. The thought is, I deserve it, and I'm going to get it. And I'm thinking, well, you're going to get a miserable life out of that. And they do, but they don't see it in the moment. It's about serving others. See, the world says, live for yourself. God says, give your life away and live for others. And Jesus says, yeah, if you want to be my disciple, you serve others unselfishly. Because Jesus is our model. Jesus himself said, for even I, the son of man, came not to be served, but to serve others. And to give my life as a ransom for many. He's our example. He's our model. You might want to underline those two phrases. To serve others. To give my life away. That's how Jesus did life. That defines the Christian life. What's the Christian life about? It's about serving others. It's about giving my life away for others. I think that when Jesus, when God sees us doing that, when God sees you doing that, I imagine that God thinks to himself, oh, this is cool. I found someone who gets it. I'm going to bless that person. I'm going to do some amazing stuff in their life because they get it. They serve. So being a disciple involves doing what Jesus did. And Jesus laid down his life for people. One of the things that goes on is, is that if you find yourself pushing against serving, there's an opportunity to serve, but you back away or you sneak away or you just say no. You have a heart problem. You have a heart issue that needs a little adjusting, needs a little tweaking. If you find yourself giving, then your heart is in the right place. If you find yourself serving, your heart is in the right place. If you don't serve and you don't give, then how could you be a disciple of Jesus? How could you be one? Jesus says, serve and give. And you say, no, I want to be your disciple, but I, won't, I don't want to do that. Doesn't work out. Jesus says it like this. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. A couple of things in this verse. First, he must deny himself. That, that means to say, God, I'm putting my agenda on the, set, on the shelf and I'm going to do what you want. I'm denying myself in this. I'm going to serve other people. Second thing is, he must take up his cross and follow me. See, the cross is the ultimate symbol of commitment and sacrifice. Jesus had to take up his cross and drag it through town. Drag it up onto the hillside, to the top of the hill. And then it be placed in the ground where he was going to give his life, sacrifice himself for many, to be a ransom for many. So you, you should just know right up front, if you want to be a disciple, that's the life you're choosing. You're choosing to lay your life down for other people because that's what Jesus did. That's what he wants us to do.
So he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. And that's what it means. One more thing about being a disciple of Jesus. And that is, I must pass on this good news to other people. I have to be willing to share this good news. In uh, Matthew 4.20, Jesus called out to them, Come, be my disciples, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and went and followed him. You know, early on, the example was Matthew. Matthew, the tax collector, sitting in his booth, and Jesus walks by and says, Matthew, hey, come on, follow me. Matthew gets up and follows him. He's walking along. He's he's roaming down the beach of the Sea of Galilee. A group of professional fishermen are out there tending their nets. They didn't fish with poles and hooks. They fished with nets. They threw out their nets to catch fish, and then they would pull them in. And those nets would get torn. They would get ripped. And as you're pulling them in, the fish would get out. So Jesus is saying to that group of people, that group of people happened to be Peter, James, John, Andrew. They were both, a couple of them were brothers, a couple of them are cousins. They're professional fishermen. They're on the shoreline mending their nets. Jesus walks up. He looks at them and says, Hey, guys, you're professional fishermen for fish. You come with me, I'll show you how to fish for men. It's kind of intriguing. (laughs) They left their nets, and they went and followed Jesus. Because there is a great value in this sixth element of being a disciple, that you pass on the good news that you have experienced. It's what you do. In in a sense, he's saying, you know what, guys? I'll show you how to change lives. I'll show you how to get people into heaven. I'll show you how to bring people to God. I'll show you how to share the good news. He says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. The corollary here is that if you're not fishing, you're not following. They go together. If I follow... I fish. That's what Jesus is saying. God expects us to pass it on. See, we have this amazing good news. We have it. We can tell people how to be forgiven. We can tell people how to experience freedom in life. We can, how, we can tell people how to have the best relationships possible. How to have the best marriage possible. We can tell them how to do that. We have it. Here's one of the other things about this. You, if you have committed your life to Christ, and I understand some of you are still processing it. You're still thinking about it. You're still weighing out the advantages and the disadvantages. I I understand that. A group of 100 people, there's going to be some of that going on. If you have committed your life to Christ, it's because someone told you about it and someone told the someone who told you someone told the someone who told the someone who told you i am here because a few someones took this seriously i think we need to take it seriously 
yeah, maybe you're afraid. Maybe it's a little intimidating. Hey, Paul and the staff will work with you and help you and encourage you and do their very best to get you to that place. Because Jesus says, if you want to be a disciple, you must pass it on. It's not just for you. It's for you and for you to share with others. That's what being a disciple is. Matthew 28, Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples. It's the idea here. Once you're a disciple, you are to go and make other disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's an amazing call to action. Be a disciple. Create, build, make other disciples that will make other disciples. What we're looking at here is how to do the Christian life, how to live it. What happens if I actually do these things? If I do the things that Jesus says to do and I become a disciple, there is a very specific outcome. The outcome is a life worth living. That's what we're about. That's what we started with yesterday. That's what we're ending with today. The outcome of being a disciple is a life worth living. Jesus says it like this. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find true life. That true life is the life worth living. It's available for you. Being a disciple involves doing all six of these elements. So you should be asking yourself, which one, two, three, which ones of the six do you need to focus on? Which ones are you missing? Which ones are you doing well? And what's your next step? Some of you that I referred to, you haven't yet committed your life to Christ. Man, you should do it tonight. You should do it. Don't go home and spend another evening without a life that is worth living. And it starts with a commitment to Christ. Some of you have made that commitment. And the next step is reflected in that verse in Matthew 28. First, you go and make disciples. Then you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some of you need to be baptized because that's your next step. And we are about next steps. Your first step is you commit your life to Christ. You become a disciple. Your next step is you get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Your third step is you learn to obey everything that Jesus has given you. That's the long-term process. Step one, boom. Step two, splash. Step three, you keep learning and growing. So if a baptism is something for you at Chico Community Church, after our second service, there's a baptism. Second worship service, there's a baptism service. You could talk to me tonight. You could talk to Paul tonight. Uh, Talk to us. And we can deal with that. A few of you have already talked to me and are getting baptized tomorrow. So 
if you have made your commitment to Christ and not yet getting, gotten baptized, let's do it. It will be a blast. So, what's your next step? I'm going to ask you to do two things. Write down your next step on your notes. And then number two, I want you to write down the name of someone. It could be your mentor. It could be the person that's discipling you. But write down the name of the person that you're going to share your next step with. So it's two things. What is your next step? Who are you going to share it with? So you should write down a step, write down a name of who that's going to be. I'm going to give you a moment right now. I will stop talking and be quiet so you could do that. Hopefully that was enough time for you. The next step, what am I going to do next? I'm going to put my next spiritual step in front of the last one that I took. And then I'm going to put my next one out there after that. I'm going to pray with you. Father, I am grateful. I am grateful that these men and women would choose to come up here, spend this weekend at this retreat to learn about you to learn about what it means to, to live a life worth living, to connect with each other, to grow, to have fun. I pray that that is what we have done. I pray we would continue to do that for the rest of this day. And I pray that we have been serious about what is my next step? What am I going to do? Who am I going to share it with? Am I truly a disciple of Jesus or am I doing something on my own? I pray that we would be serious about taking all six of these elements, all six of these things that Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, this is what it takes. I pray we would do those things in such a way that honors you, that blesses you, that pleases you. And I pray that in your name. Amen.